the lead pastor here, and um, I wonder how many of you saw the article uh, that came out this past week, an article about a study uh, that was conducted. I know it made it around Twitter uh, quite a bit, but uh, uh, it was put out by the Oxfam Institute uh, and a conclusion, uh, a finding that 85, 85 of the wealthiest people in the world, that is a group of people that would easily uh, fit into an auditorium like this, 85 people control as much wealth as the bottom half of the entire world's population. So that would be 3.5 billion people. Let that sink in for just a second. You know, when many of us think rich, there's an example, right? I mean, we'd say, yeah, that's rich. I mean, that's unspeakable wealth, almost immeasurable sort of wealth. But, you know, when you think about it, the truth is that we all have a different definition when it comes to rich. Uh, I mean, don't we? I mean, whatever uh, your definition of rich might be, I I'm guessing that it's more than what you have right now or more than what I have right now. I mean, that's where most of us are. I mean, even if we can't define rich, uh, we know we're not it, or it's somewhere beyond uh, where we are right now or what we've already accumulated. And so what we do is that most of us, most people are always looking at that next step, uh, that next step of the ladder uh, towards economic security to uh, things like the bigger house or the uh, nicer car or maybe the other subdivision on the other side of the street or the more prestigious neighborhood. I mean, whatever our fixation or your fixation uh, may be. Have you, have you ever noticed this? I mean, have you ever noticed how our culture is so fascinated and focused on the prospects of getting rich? I mean, and, and, and some people, more than others, and, and some people are, are driven by the hopes of getting rich. Some make this the consuming goal in their life, and maybe for others, um, not so much. Uh, any, anyone around here watch the popular TV show Shark Tank on ABC? We've got any Shark Tank fans in the room? All right, my wife and I have kind of, we started getting into it a, a little bit more this year. And uh, if you've never seen the show, it's five uh, rich, successful uh, businessmen and women, people like Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks. And these hosts, they, they sit, they're the Shark Tank, and they listen uh, to the new ideas and concepts uh, from people like you and me, people who want to start or expand a business, move a product. And, and so these contestants, they come to the show with an idea and the hopes of getting a financial loan. I mean, they're looking for an investment from one of the sharks. And most contestants, if you watch the show, they are just driven by this desire for hope or uh, for wealth and success. I mean, in most cases, it's people who are wanting and hoping to get rich. Now, I, I think it's safe to say that at one time or another, every single one of us have wondered what it would be like to be rich. I, I have. You know, I, I think about those things. And, but what if I told you this? What if I told you that you're already rich? That you're already rich, that no matter where you live, no matter uh, what you drive, no matter where you buy your clothes, no matter where you're, you're, you eat, um, you're rich. Uh, you see that you live, I live, we live in the richest time in all of history. We live in the richest nation in the history of the world, and whether you choose to believe it or not, you're rich. Now, I know some of you are thinking I, I need some convincing. Uh, others of you think I'm an idiot uh, for even saying something uh, like that, but see if this helps. I mean, consider this. If you've got a roof over your head, you're rich. Uh, if you have electricity in your home and plumbing in your home, uh, you're rich. 
If you have a bedroom for your car to sleep in at nighttime so that it doesn't get snow and ice and frost and things like that on it, you're rich. Or uh, if your car has to sleep outside at nighttime because your garage is filled with stuff that you already own and therefore don't have room in the garage for your car, you're rich. Or look at it like this. If you work an average of five days a week and that five days provides enough resources uh, for you to live and to survive and still leaves an average of two days a week for rest or whatever you might choose, you're rich. In fact, if you are in a household, let's say of four or five people, and you send one person from your household to work each week, and that one person can provide the resources and support for the whole family, you're rich. Now, you might not feel rich, I might not feel rich, but in comparison to most in the world, if we have a roof over our heads and the food to eat and a car and a computer, we're already richer than 98% of the people on the planet. Or how about this? You know, what if someone offered you a job tomorrow, a job with a starting salary of $37,000 a year? Uh, would you feel rich? Probably not. I mean, it might not get you real excited. It might get you excited if you're needing work right now or if that's a step up for you. But in fact, if you look at just Hamilton County alone, if you look at a $37,000 job, I mean, by most standards, I mean, that's kind of a pay cut in this county. But for 96% of the world's population, $37,000 would be a significant increase. In fact, if you earn more than $37,000 a year, you are in the top 4% of wage earners in the entire world. Congratulations. You're rich. Are you feeling guilty yet? I hope not. And I want to say this sincerely, and I want you to know my heart when I say this, that it's not my purpose, nor is it the purpose of this series in any way. I'm not saying any of this to make you feel guilty, but instead what I hope is going to happen in our hearts and in my life and in your life over the next few weeks, it has everything to do with gratitude, because gratitude is what really changes the heart. And when gratitude happens in your heart, that's when your heart and my heart and our lives really start changing. See, we're starting a brand new series today called The Secret to Being Rich, and what I want you to see right from the start in these next few weeks is that God is speaking to you, and He's speaking to me directly, and He's speaking to our church, and how we as His children have been given this beautiful opportunity to make an eternal difference for Jesus Christ in this world. And I'm just going to be up front with you. For some of you, the real challenge will be that you'll see this as a political issue. But I want you to know that this isn't Democrat, this isn't Republican, but we're looking to the Scriptures and we're looking to see what God has for us and how He's directing us as His people and as His children. Because as followers of Jesus living in America, we're rich. You know, especially compared to most people in the world. And not only are we rich comparatively when it comes to material wealth, but we're also rich because of who we have and what we have in Jesus Christ. You see, if Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, then salvation is yours, and it's the free gift of God through Jesus Christ. And because of that alone, you and I were rich. Look at 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, if you would. We're going to look at these few verses together over the next uh, three weeks when we come together here at Genesis. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, the Apostle Paul writes it like this. He says, command those who are rich in this present world. Now stop there for a second. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote these words to a young man, his apprentice, a young guy by the name of Timothy. Uh, Paul had the people uh, in the church at Ephesus in mind as he wrote these words, and he knew that people like Timothy were in charge of preaching 
in places like Ephesus. And uh, well, because Ephesus was located on the Mediterranean Sea, uh, it was an epicenter for trade and wealth. And, and there was this church in Ephesus. And it's likely that the people of this church, like many living in the community at Ephesus, were in a better financial position than most people living in this region of the world at the time. And so Paul writes, command those who are rich in this present world. He's talking about the people. He's talking about those living in the church at Ephesus. And does it apply today? You better believe it does. He is speaking directly to you and me. So that if you have a place to live, if you have food to eat, if you can afford to eat out, even if it's just Subway, you know, then these words are for you and me too. And not only because we're rich in wealth in comparison to the rest of the world, but most importantly because we're rich in Jesus Christ and we belong to Him. And because of that, God has greater purposes and greater things in mind for your life and my life and for this church. And what is it? See, we're here to bring glory to God. Uh, we're here to make the name of, of Jesus Christ famous in this world. I mean, we're here to point people to Jesus and to help others find their way back to God. That's the mission of this church. And if you call Genesis your church, it's your mission too. You see, Paul wants us to see, uh, as followers of Jesus, he wants us to see this responsibility and opportunity that we've been given. And so back to verse uh, 17, he continues. He says, command those who are rich in this present world, he's talking about you and me here, not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. And notice that he doesn't say that wealth is a sin. All right, he never says that. All right, it's not a sin. And we talked about this. We talked about this a few weeks ago or a couple weeks ago, and we're gonna do it again today. And he says, this wealth, which is so uncertain, but he continues, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, as we get into verse 18 here, I want you to see the specific command that the secret to being rich and what we're going to talk about these next few weeks, it comes right here, and Paul says, command them. Again, this is you and me. He says, to do good, to be rich in deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And then he says, and in this way, meaning if you make this your priority in life, he says, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul says, the secret to being rich is to do good to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And then the promise, I mean, what's his promise? Verse 19 says that doing this leads and gives way to a life that is truly life. Paul says, have you ever searched for significance in this world? Have you ever gone looking for greater purpose and a desire to say that I've lived my life to make a mark for the name of Jesus Christ? Paul says, here it is. He says, here's what it means. Here's what it looks like to make an eternal difference. You know, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at these three specific commands given by Paul, uh, given by Paul, but from God. And we're going to start today at looking at what it means to be generous. I mean, what God wants. You know, Paul says, he commands followers of Jesus, and it's in your notes, to be rich in generosity. Paul's command from the Lord is that his people, his children, people like you and me, would be rich in our generosity. And yes, generosity means money. And I know that every time we say that, every time we talk about generosity, there are some that want to jump in and also remind us that, well, it's about your time too, and it's about your talents too. And yes, sure, you can be generous with your time, and you can be generous with your talents, but do you know that every time the word generous is used in the Bible, it always has to do with money for the sake of those who are in need? 
I mean, and it's good to give your time, and it's good to give your talents. And we're going to talk about each of these the next two weeks. But when Paul talks about generosity here, he is talking about the moolah. All right, he's talking about the bling, all right? He's talking about cash, all right? He's talking about our money. See, Jesus wants us to be known as people who are generous, giving people. And two weeks ago, we talked about the power and influence that money can have over our lives and how money is God's chief competition for your heart and in my heart. And so if you remember in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. I mean, he reminded us of this, that you can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. And as a way of protecting us from the pitfalls of greed and putting too much faith in money, Jesus tells us to give. And in Matthew 6, he said, seek first his kingdom. You know, he's talking specifically in this occasion about your investment in the work of God through your giving and through your generosity. And the challenge is to give first to make it a practice to give first, that every time you get paid, you make it a practice, you make it a habit in your life to be someone who gives first. And we give first as a way of honoring him. We give first as a way of acknowledging that it all belongs to him and that he provides for our needs. It all comes from him. We give first as a way of directing our heart and our faith uh, towards him and not money. And what we're going to see today is that as we give first, you know, as we give financially and generously, we contribute to God's redemptive work in this world. We give, and we help others find their way back to God. You know, I read a story this past week about uh, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, and uh, many of you know that Steve Jobs was the founder and legendary founder of the Apple Company and died uh, from cancer in 2011. And Bill Gates started Microsoft and is one of the uh, richest men in the world today. Now, uh, there was an interview a few years back before Jobs passed away where both Jobs and Gates were on the stage at the very same time, and Steve Jobs said this about Bill Gates. He says, I think the world is a better place because Bill realized that his goal isn't to be the richest guy in the cemetery. And uh, as you know, and if you've followed the news at all over these last few years, Bill and Melinda Gates have given away more money uh, for the good of others than anyone else really uh, in the rest of the world. And it's ironic that Steve Jobs would say this about Bill Gates because Jobs wasn't known for using his wealth to help others. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I don't say this to be mean, but I guess you could say that Jobs ended up being one of the richest men in the cemetery. And it's sad. And Jesus reminds us, hey, as you live your life, don't put your hope in wealth. Don't live for money. There's no hope in money. And Jesus said, instead, I want you to follow me. And I want you to seek the Lord and make an investment in his kingdom. And the Apostle Paul comes along years later and he mirrored those words. And in 1 Timothy 6, Paul reminds us that we brought nothing into the world and we're not going to take anything out of it. And then he goes on to say, he says, don't be so arrogant to put your hope in wealth. And it's so uncertain. But he says, put your hope in God because he is the one who provides for everything we need. And so he says, be rich in generosity. Make an investment in things that matter in this life and more importantly, in the next one. So here's the thing, and you know it. You and I only get so many days on this earth. So many days. And generosity in and through your life right now can result in seeing people in heaven one day, people that you wouldn't see otherwise. I mean, think about it. I mean, what if your generosity could play a part in doing work like that? 
You know, God has blessed me, He's blessed you with financial resources, and His command for us is to be rich and to give, and, and this sort of living reminds us that uh, money's a tool. I mean, really, when you think about it, money's a tool. Now, not a tool in the way that you might refer to your best friend's boyfriend as a tool, all right? And he may very well be a tool. There are a lot of tools out there. Uh, but no, money is a tool that God provides. And with what he's provided to you and with what he's provided to me, there is an expectation that you're going to put it to good use. And part of the use of that money that you've received is for providing for your needs. And there's no shame in using a portion of your money for enjoyment. But God's dream for you and me is that we will use our money that you you will use your money and offer it and give it generously to support the work that he's doing in this world. And when you know how to use it and when you're willing to give, it can be incredibly effective. I mean, money can be used to accomplish eternal things. I mean, over the past uh, week or so, uh, many of you have probably received a copy of your 2013 uh, giving statement uh, your gifts to Genesis Church. Because of your investment, uh, because of your gifts to Genesis, uh, people get baptized, uh, new campuses get started, uh, new churches are planted, and ministries in places like Noblesville and in Indianapolis and Haiti and the Ukraine and Central Asia receive support and receive our, our gifts and, and our prayers, and every gift matters, every gift. Every gift matters. See, your generosity is advancing the mission of Genesis Church. And because of it, we're going to have the privilege of seeing wonderful and great and beautiful things this side of heaven. But some of those investments that we make, that you make in this earth, won't be realized until heaven. And trust me, those will be even greater and so worth it. You see, money's a tool. Money's also not only a tool, but it's also a test. I mean, whatever money we have, however much you have or however little you have is a test, and it's a test of what we think or what we believe about God. And it's not so much a pass or fail test. I mean, really, when you think about it, it's, it's more of an, a litmus test. I mean, the way you use, handle, or give your money really is an indicator of where your heart is. And so, can I just take a moment and ask you today, where's your heart right now? I mean, where's your heart when it comes to the Lord? And uh, where's your heart when it comes to things like money? I mean, ask yourself, is your heart set on God and in His kingdom, or is it set on your kingdom? I mean, Jesus said it was, it was very challenging when He said, wherever your treasure is there, will your heart be also. Those things that you prioritize just simply follow the cash, and you'll see what it is that you ultimately believe and what you treasure. Money is a test of the heart, and that's why Jesus said, seek first His kingdom. Make it a practice. Make it a habit in your life to seek first the kingdom of the Lord. Paul says, be rich in generosity. Um, I had the privilege of eating lunch with a really good friend uh, just, a, oh, just before Christmas. And I, you know, a number of years back, had the opportunity to baptize this young man as uh, he came to know the Lord. And as, uh, it's just been wonderful to see what's happening in his life over the last few years, that as he grows in his faith, I mean, he is realizing more and more that you can't follow Jesus and it not impact your finances in some way. I mean, he realizes that. And so he loves to give and he, he loves what's, what God's doing in his heart. And now how he has this opportunity to support God's work through his church and, and ministries around central Indiana. I mean, he is set and desires for God to grow his heart and grow his faith. And in his life, he knows and realizes and understands that his giving plays a part in that, in that growth. 
You want God to grow your heart? Uh, do you want God to grow your faith? I mean, you want to you see more of God around your life? Uh, do you want to know with, with confidence you know, that you're living out God's plans and purposes for you? Paul says, be rich in generosity. You know, generosity and giving isn't just for some of us. It's what God has in mind for all of us. And so let's talk about what that looks like with the time that we have left. And, you know, I think there's something in these words. I really do. And what we're talking about today, I think there's something in these words for every single one of us. And what I've been praying is that no matter where you are uh, right now when it comes to giving and generosity, um, I'm hoping and I'm praying that you will take a step today. Uh, that you will take a step in your giving, uh, that you will take a step in your generosity. And I realize that for some of you, you don't like this conversation, and so your step might be out the door. Uh, and, well, that, that's on you. Uh, that's not on me. But what we, would, we, would we really pray and believe, God, what is that next step that you have for me in my life? What does it mean for me to be a giver? What does it mean for me to be generous? As God commands us, Paul, the Apostle Paul commands for us, and how do you get started or grow in this area of giving and generosity. So I've got a few steps for you to think about. And the first step that is for some of you uh, to take you from where you are right now uh, in another direction in 2014 is just simply this. It's in your notes. I, I want to challenge some of you to take a step to become an initial giver. Uh, it's what we're going to call an initial giver. An initial giver is someone, a Christian, who turns this corner and, and makes a decision in their life to start giving. And I believe that some of you are going to do that today. Um, I'm praying and I'm confident that some of you are going to do that over the course of the next couple of weeks. An initial giver, what an initial giver is, is an initial giver is someone who gives first, uh, someone who gives consistently, and gives in a measurable way. And here's the really cool part. The cool part is that it's an indication of what's going on in here. It's an indication that something's happening. And when you start giving, especially when it's financially challenging to do so, what you're saying is that you are ready for God to do even more in you. And that's where some of you are right now. I mean, I really believe that. You can't even believe your thinking and how you're, you're growing and how you're wanting or desiring to trust God more and more in this area. And so when you start giving to a church, what you're doing is you're loosening your grip on a value system in this world that says it's your money and that it's all for your pleasure and for your security. And again, you're acknowledging what's happening in your heart and you're demonstrating your faith is in Jesus Christ and in nothing else. And so if you're a Christian... If you call Genesis your church, and maybe here today and not giving regularly, I want to challenge you to start giving regularly to Genesis Church. That's my very specific challenge for you, that the best way to become an initial giver is to choose an amount, choose a percentage, and make it a habit with your giving. That means that whenever you get a paycheck, you give first, and not second, uh, not third, not if there's any left over at the end of the month, but you make it a practice to give back to the Lord through Genesis Church First. And not only do you give first, but I want to challenge you to give consistently every month. And so for you, that might mean monthly, that might mean two times a month, that might mean every week, whatever works best for you. But whatever you need to do, you make it a practice so that it becomes a habit. Now, I'm going to stop here for a second. I want to tell you, it's going to be, it's, it'll be hard. If you've never done this before, if you've fallen off in this area, I have experience in this area. It's hard to get started in this area. Just be prepared. It's going to happen. And that's why you have to stick with it. And that's why you have to be consistent. And don't expect immediate results in your life. But remember, remember that growth takes time. 
It takes time. And, and giving, what it does is it does things through your heart. And if you stick with it, you're going to see and you're going to experience even greater things in your life and faith. And so give first. Give consistently. But also I want to challenge you to give in a measurable way. And here's what I mean by that. Give in a way that you can measure or account for. I mean, that's why we offer a number of convenient ways for you to give here through Genesis Church. Uh, the first is that you can give online. Uh, and you can learn about that. You can discover that if you go to our website and follow the link to our online giving. It's safe. Uh, it's secure. Uh, you can go to the web and you can check it out. Maybe that works for you. We know that doesn't work for everyone, but it works for some. There's another way, though, that you can account for your giving, that you can give in a measurable way, and that is by writing a check. And you can write a check and you can give it on a Sunday morning, or if you like to give cash, you can use an offering envelope that's in a seat and make sure that you put your name on it. But we encourage you to give in a way that is measurable uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, because your gift is tax deductible. And if you give in a measurable way, we're going to send you updates, especially at the end of the year, and then you can claim that on your taxes, and that's a benefit for you. I mean, that frees up more resources for you to live off of or more resources to give. But secondly, I think it's also helpful for you to look back over the course of the year and see how you've grown and then take into account what it is that God's doing in your heart and then to notice and see and realize how He's providing for you. And so I want to challenge you to give in a measurable way and, uh, in 2014, uh, today, today, or soon, if you're not giving regularly, take the first step to become an initial giver. And I understand that for some of you, that's a great big step, but it's worth it. And for those that have started and stuck with it, they've enjoyed trusting God and honoring Him, but not only that, in a special way, they know the joy of contributing to God's work through Genesis Church. And we're changing lives. We're making an eternal difference in this community and I don't want any of you to miss an opportunity to be a part of it. And so that's the challenge, the challenge for some of you today. Now, I told you that there's a challenge for everyone. Uh, and so for some of you, that step is to become an initial giver. And some are already doing that. But here's the next leap, the next step. And for some, it's the biggest step of all. Uh, and it's in your notes, and that is the step to become a proportional giver. It's what we call a proportional giver. Now, a proportional giver is someone who moves beyond giving something and even giving something regularly to someone who tithes, all right? Now, the word tithe just simply means a tenth. Uh, it means 10%. It's 10% of your financial resources given through your church. And if Genesis is your church, you give through Genesis Church back to God. A, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the 10-10-80 plan. Just very simply, what would it look like for you in your life to say, you know, I'm going to set a course where I'm living my life according to the 10-10-80 plan. That means the first 10% of what I receive, I give back to my church. The second 10% of what I receive, I set aside for savings. And then I learn to live off of the 80%. Now, notice I say learn. I mean, it, it is a change of lifestyle if you're not doing something like that to grow accustomed to it. But a proportional giver is someone who ties. And, and again, I know that this is a really big leap. Let's look what uh, Scripture has to say for us on this. Leviticus 27 Verse 30, it says, a tithe of everything from the land uh, where grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. Uh, later on in the Old Testament, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, we get this command to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse or your place of worship, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, 
And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store. You see, in the Old Testament, the tithe, or 10%, was viewed as a bare minimum to giving towards eternal things. But then Jesus came on the scene. And I want you to see and notice, uh, even though we're not going to spend a lot of time with it, that Jesus never spoke against the tithe. I mean, the way I see it, he pointed to the tithe, and what he said about the tithe was that it ought to be our short-term goal for our giving and really a starting place for our generosity. And so just real personally, I mean, if someone ever comes up to me and asks, you know, hey, I want to start giving, where should I give? Um, I'll say 10%. I think it's a great starting place. Again, the Bible writers and Jesus had a lot to say about giving 10%, and so I think 10% ought to be your short-term goal, or maybe even for some of you, the first step that you take. Now, again, even as I say this, I know that some of you are already doing the math in your mind, and even the thought of giving 10% makes you uncomfortable. Man, it did for me when we got started in this. But remember, a tooth extraction is uncomfortable too, all right? But we do those sorts of things in order to relieve ourselves from the pain, to spare ourselves from the pain. And Paul says, don't be arrogant. Man, don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But instead, do things. Put your hope in the Lord. And one of the ways that we demonstrate that our hope is in the Lord is through our giving. Again, a proportional giver, you know, is someone who ties. It's someone who is saying with their heart, the Lord, I trust you. And I recognize and I believe that it all comes from you. And I want to be a part of the work that you're doing in my life and around this world. And so through my giving, what I'm saying, Lord, is that I'm inviting you to do even greater things in my life. And I am no, I, I know, and I am confident, and I have faith that you will provide for me. I got another friend here at Genesis, a great guy, a great man. Uh, he loves the Lord. And, and last year, about this time, last January, he heard me talk about this challenge. I gave this very specific challenge last year. And he recognized in his life that he was giving, but not tithing. And so as a way of demonstrating what was happening here and in his faith and in his life, he took a step and he made a personal commitment last January to tithe in 2013. I got a really cool note from him the other day, just a few weeks ago, telling me that he made it. He tithed the whole year, and he loves it. And he loves what God's doing in his life, and how his faith is growing, and his heart is growing, and now he's even asking, Lord, what's next? What next would you have for me? I wonder, would you be up for that challenge? Would you be ready to take a step of that, like that as a way of demonstrating what's going on in your heart? And your desire to take Paul's words as truth, to be rich in generosity, will you take the step to tithe, to be a proportional giver? And do you have any idea what difference it would make? A whole body, a whole community of believers, every single one of us giving and trusting in the Lord. You know, like I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Jenny and I took the plunge and jumped in and started giving and tithing 14 years ago. We've been doing it ever since growing in that area, really trusting in the Lord in that area, I have zero regrets. And when I look at my life, when I look back on the past 14 years and I see what the Lord has done in my life and how He has provided over and over again and what He's doing in my marriage and what He's doing in my relationship with my children and with the Lord, I know that what we're doing by the grace of God is that we are laying up a firm foundation for a life that truly matters, a life that is completely sold out and focused on the Lord. And I fail in that and I stumble in that over and over again. But again, by the grace of God, I am making progress, slow progress in that area 
and I know that I'm helping to make an eternal difference. And so many of you are too. And so many of you are already doing this. And if you aren't, and if you're absent in this area, man, I, I want to challenge you to get in the game and to take a step in th- of faith and really trust the Lord in this area of giving as a proportional giver. And so for some of you, again, it's a step to become an initial giver. Maybe for others, probably for most of us, it's that step to become a proportional giver, someone who ties. But finally, there's a third challenge. Again, because I said there's a challenge for every single one of us, and that's the challenge to become a a, a generous giver. Now, a generous giver is someone who starts moving well beyond the 10%. And what happens is a generous giver is someone who realizes that it's no longer about 10%, but 100% is fair game, that it all belongs to the Lord, and it all comes from Him. And you're already tithing, but you're living your life knowing that one thing is true. It's all from Him. It all comes from Him. And so what you're saying with your life and in your actions and in your faith is that, Lord, I am ready and I am willing to give anything and sacrifice anything because you've already done it for me. And so I'm here and I'm available for you, Lord. Stretch me, use me, and move in me to give in even greater ways. You think I'm joking? I've met these people. They're out there. Trust me. We've got people like this right here at Genesis Church, and they're fascinating. And their hope is in the Lord, and their faith is in the Lord, and their outlook and their generosity is an encouraging, and it almost becomes like a game for them. It's almost like a personal challenge of, Lord, what else? Like, what's next, God? I mean, how would you stretch me, and what more can I do and give to honor you and to advance your kingdom? I mean, they know that they can't outgive God, and they've got stories and examples to share because of it. And so some of you, some of you really already find yourself in that category as a proportional giver, as someone who is tithing, or maybe even grown beyond that. But I want to challenge you too, and I want to pray, and I want to ask you to ask the Lord what would be the next step for you. Is there a step even for you to take? this year in 2014 as a, giver, as a generous giver. I mean, again, you may already be tithing, but you're ready to move beyond that to other things, to even begin seeing that the whole 100% is fair game. And if that's you, let me just challenge you very specifically with a couple of things, a couple of ideas. The first one is this, that if you're giving or tithing uh, regularly, would you consider raising your giving by a percentage this year? Would you do that as a step of faith? You know, as a way of honoring the Lord to say, Lord, I want to take a step in my life. I mean, because maybe you've been tithing for 20 years, and man, I applaud you and I thank you for your faithfulness. But man, if you've been tithing at 10% for that long, it might be time to take a step in an area like this. And so would you, maybe would that be your prayer? Lord, would you have in mind for us, for my family to raise our giving by a percentage this year? Or what about this? If, if, if you have been giving, if you've been tithing to Generous Church, maybe your step of faith is to start giving beyond Genesis Church because there are a number of wonderful uh, helping people find their way back to God's sort of ministries that are happening here locally and around the world and need our support too. There are great ministries like Young Life, even right here in our own community and Campus Crusade for Christ 
Christ crew uh, right here around us. You know, and many of you have experienced the joy uh, of partnering with Nehemiah Vision Ministries, uh, and we give to them as a church every single year, but maybe it's your desire to give beyond even what Genesis is doing right now and supporting some of their work, or uh, to things like Movement Church, uh, Josh and Heidi Tandy down in the northern Kentucky areas. But what it just simply means is that you start giving to some areas that you are really passionate about, maybe even things that Genesis isn't currently supporting. Or, or how about this example, too? I was having lunch with a, a guy just a couple of weeks back, and we kind of came up with this idea, and he and his family, they're already giving and tithing. And so we talked about, you know, what if you set aside some fun money? This year, every month, just a, a sum of money, and, and, and it was a project as a family to pray every month, God, what would you have in mind for me, for our family, to do with this money to bless someone else, to be generous, you know, to lay up a firm foundation and to give towards a life that truly matters? Maybe that's something that you can do. I, I'll just be very candid with you about something, and I don't tell you this so that you'll think highly of me in any way, but um, I've got a really close friend from high school. Uh, she lives in the Chicago area. Uh, she's experienced a divorce this past year. Uh, she's got two young kids and just discovered that she's got stage four cancer and uh, trying to figure out where to go from here. And thankfully, she's got a community around her and a lot of people around her. And well, just a few weeks ago, I mean, Jenny and I just really felt like the Lord laid it on our heart to send some money. She and her kids were getting ready to take a vacation to Florida. We know they don't have a lot. We sent them just a, a sum of money with just a note that says, hey, we want to give this and bless you with it because we've been blessed over and over again, and here's what we want you to do. Do something on your vacation that you wouldn't be able to do otherwise. And you've done stuff like that, right? And you know the joy of giving to those sorts of things. You know, King David reminds us of what it means to be a generous giver. The temple was being built in Israel, and in 1 Chronicles 29, uh, starting in verse 10, he's credited with these things. He said, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. He says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. See, David was a generous giver. He knew and realized that it all belonged to the Lord, and because of that, he lived his life giving a man of generosity. Genesis Church, I, I can't thank you enough for your generosity. When your gifts, your giving, because of it, the gospel is being shared. People are coming to Christ. People are finding their way back to God and making an eternal difference in this world. But I got to tell you, there's more to do. We're not done. We're just getting started. I mean, we won't be finished until Jesus returns. And so I just couldn't help but ask myself this morning, you know, what would happen? What would happen if every person, what if every person from Genesis responded in obedience and gave generously to the Lord through this church? I got to tell you, we could change Noblesville. We could change the surrounding communities. We, we, we could join the Lord in doing something here that would cause people in the rest of the country to look here and ask, what is it? 
What's happening? I mean, think about what it would look like. Imagine, what would it look like to go to the mayor of somewhere like Noblesville and say, hey, what's, what's one need, what's one problem that you don't have the funds for? We got it. We'll take that. Genesis Church is going to take responsibility for that one. Or how, how about to go to our local schools, administrators and teachers and say, hey, what resources do you need to really do the job that you want to do and say, you know what, Genesis Church has got that. We're going to make that our project to give generously because we've been given gener generously too by the Lord. I mean, imagine a day where we're baptizing people every single week, people like your neighbor, uh, your son or your son's best friend or, or your husband. I mean, what would happen if every person responded in obedience and gave generously to the Lord through Genesis? We wouldn't be able to launch enough campuses, plan enough churches fast enough. And the work in your heart, the faith, your, your giving, or your willingness to give might be the one thing that unleashes a work of God in your life, a work like you've never seen before, because it's a heart matter, and God's not after your money. He's after your heart. And so what's your next step? That's my challenge for you today. What's your next step? To take a step. My prayer is that everyone from Genesis will take one step with us in their giving and in their generosity. Paul says the secret to being rich is to do good deeds, to be generous, and willing to share. Let's pray. God, we just ask right now that you would give us the faith to take a step. Every person here today, no one left out. Lord, open our hearts, open our minds, uh, give, us, give us faith. Uh, Lord, we know for some it means uh, changing attitude. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would change marriages right now where there's division over this issue, that you would bring unity. God, give us the faith to trust you, to see that it all comes from you and this dream that you have for us, that we will be people rich in generosity so that the world might know the name of Jesus Christ, the one who matters, our Savior of all things. God, we come before you today, and Lord, my, my heart is heavy uh, because I know that you know every situation here, and for some it's a very difficult situation right now, and maybe as it has to do with finances, maybe it's something else. But Lord, would you enter into each life here today, draw people to you, and give people faith in you, and they would know your love and concern for their lives, for all things, as we trust you. God, our response is that all we need is you. We trust you, Lord and that you are the only thing we need. It's what our lives need. It's what our church needs. It's what our community needs. All we need is you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, would you stand with us as we sing and as we respond to the Lord through this song?